want to invite you to reflect a little bit on kind of the whole scope of your life from beginning to end. We all have a birthday and probably know what that day was. So think about the day you were born, at least the date. And then uh, what's crazy is, uh, provided that Jesus doesn't return, uh, we're all going to have a day where our life ends in this body that we happen to have. And none of us know what day that is. Um, some people think, you know, kind of are at a phase of life where they know they're closer to that day uh, than they would have would have been otherwise. And, and I don't think about that a whole lot right now uh, at this phase of my life. But um, and you talk about your life in terms of, of its whole. There's different ways that we can think of it, different ways we can think of this is what my life is. And one of the ways that you might think of that is like your life is like a book. Your life is a story, and in that story, there are certain chapters, there are certain seasons, and these seasons come and they go. It's a season of childhood, or season of, you know, going off to school or that kind of a thing, a season of, of work, a season of family, those kinds of things. And we've all, to some degree or another, experienced different kinds of seasons in our lives that require different things of us. That's one wonderful way to think about life and our life as a whole. When we gather here for worship, that's one of the things that I think we have to keep into perspective. That's part of what worship is, is we, we, we step back, step away from the world, and we think about the things that are real and big. And it might be the things that are always there, that if we didn't just step aside and think about them, uh, we would not really notice. So we think, you know, God is good. God is big. God made all things. We have to remind ourselves of these things, don't we? In the same way, we think about our lives as a whole. And that's part of what worship does is we take the totality of our life and we lay it before the Lord and we say, God, help me to have perspective. So one of the ways that we are learning to think about our lives in the context of this sermon series is that our life is like a race. Not really so much a race where we're competing against other people, but a race that we're all running on our own. Everybody has a race to run. God has given you a race. And it is not the 100-meter dash. It's not beginning and end, but it's a race that's over the course of a life. And so there's all kinds of things that we have to take into consideration. Uh, we have to take into consideration the pace that we live our life. We have to take into consideration our rhythm of life. We have to take into consideration how you can maintain a certain way of being throughout the years and even the decades. And that's the challenge of this race, is the endurance of it and the perseverance of it. So we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. You and I are in the middle of your race or somewhere along uh, in your race. And so there's two parts of this. Number one is this perseverance part, which means we must keep going and find ways to continue on without stalling out or without quitting or that kind of a thing. Uh, the other piece of that is uh, not just to keep going, but to make sure that we don't get tripped up or that we don't get weighed down. If we have a lot of weight on us, then we're going to get tired in our race if we have excess baggage and weight. The other, the other challenge is not just excess baggage, but the other challenge is what might trip us up. 
Uh, we may think we're doing just fine, then all of a sudden we trip. Most people don't anticipate when they're going to trip. Think about when you trip on something. Part of the nature of that is you don't know it's coming, and before you know it, you're on your face. And so that's why we are called to always be on alert and looking out. So the race of faith and the race of our life, these two uh, intertwine and go hand in hand. Kyle Eidelman in the book gives uh, pretty significant attention throughout the middle of the book to the things that, that trip us up or what the scripture says, the sin that clings so closely. Sin is kind of like this leech that is on us and we may or may not realize that it is there. And throughout the middle part of the book, he gives us four different categories of this sin or this weight. He categorizes it as anxiety, religion, lies, and unbelief. Today we're going to hone in mainly on that third one, lies. Lies are like these false narratives that are running really in the subconscious and in the background of our minds and our hearts. They really drive the way we think and the way that we live, often to our lack of awareness. Lies about who we are, lies about the world around us, and lies about who God is and God's power in the world. Often these lies, while hidden in the background, they tend to rear their heads when life gets hard. When our lives get hard, the, the, the things that we truly believe begin to be exposed. And when challenges happen in life, then that's when we find out what we're really made of, right? When life is easy... Uh, most of us can kind of keep it together. But when our life gets hard, that's when God starts to reveal, yeah, I've got some stuff down there that's not as secure as I thought it once was. Lies come from a lot of different places, and they can take a lot of different forms. Lies like, you're not good enough, or you can do it all on your own. Or lies like, you just need to try harder, and you're, not, you're just not trying hard enough. Or lies that say, you know, you've made so many mistakes and you've messed up so much that there's just really no place for you in a meaningful way uh, to be in God's will anymore. These are lies or variations of lies that tend to run in the background of our hearts. The enemy loves to plant lies in the human soul. This begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. When the serpent, also known as Satan or the devil or the enemy, lies to Eve. And he says, you won't die if you eat of that fruit. You will be like God. The first liar has entered into the human story right here early on in the story of the Bible. And the enemy lies and deceives Eve. And she takes the bait and begins to live on the lie. And things are never the same again. And ever since we've been battling What's true and what's not? What's true about God? What's true about me? You see, somewhere in the past, each of us have taken on our own lie. As we have grown up throughout the years in our race, we've all hit these kinds of snags. Maybe it was your father whose approval you could never get. Maybe it was your mother who really never paid attention to you because she was too busy doing other things. 
Maybe it was a teacher or a coach who, some reason, maybe on purpose or accident, just made you feel less than those around you. Or maybe it was a sibling or the neighbor down the street who called you names. Maybe it was even the successes that you've had growing up created this mentality in you that said, I am what I do. Now, these are all partial truths, but there's lies involved in each one of these ways of being and believing. Lies so often planted early in life that we have learned to live with them, thinking that they are just a part of who we are, that that is what is real. After all, if they ring true to something deep down in how we feel, they must be true, right? Not necessarily so. Another way that lies get into our lives is there is not enough truth. For a child to grow up and never hear the words, you know, I love you, well, whatever that does, it creates this vacuum where other things will fill its place. It's like a, a farmer who doesn't plant a crop in a certain area knows that it won't be long before weeds will simply pop up in that area. But if you plant something and you get a really good stand on, on your soil and, and you had a really good crop that comes up, then there's not much room for lies. There's not much room for weeds. So sometimes there's a vacuum of the things that have been spoken that are true into us. And if we don't have enough people speaking truth into our hearts, then lies will take their place. Something's going to grow in the soul of your heart one way or another. And it's now up to us to tend to and to be good stewards of what is that, that is. So what lies might be stuck in your soul? What might you be operating on? What false beliefs or false narratives are driving your life? Well, Eidelman points out three, though there are many more. Three that he points out, number one, is you don't have what it takes. Number two, you can fix it yourself. And number three, you deserve to be happy. Now, in each of those, there's a little bit of a truth, but there's also a lie kind of running through each of those. And he kind of unpacks that a little bit. Today, I don't want to really dig into those specifically, but I do want to talk about a pattern that we can develop in our lives where we can be free from such lies. How do we get free from lies that entangle us and trip us up and weigh us down on this race of faith that we're called to run throughout the course of our lives? The first one is to simply recognize the lie. This is harder than it looks. If we've been living with a lie in our hearts and our minds our whole life, we may not even know it's there. We may believe something about God, the world, or ourselves, and it, we've been believing it so long we don't even recognize. Sometimes the only way we can learn to do this is through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the only way we learn to recognize the lies in our life is when life gets hard enough for that to come out. When I was in high school, it was really popular. Uh, there were these posters, and it was just kind of this, it looked like kind of a, a jumbled bunch of colors and uh, little bitty bitty shapes, uh, almost just like pixelation. And you could look at it on the surface and it just looked like nothing. But if you stared at it long enough, um, like if it was right here, and if, if you stared at a point, an imaginary point behind the poster, then all of a sudden this image would come 
uh, and you could see it. Is, do y'all remember these? Anybody remember these? Am I getting anywhere? So I don't know where those went. I used to have one on my wall. Uh, figured they'd come back around by now. But anyway, um, once you see it, though, once you get that image, you could stare at it for 20 minutes and be like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. And then once it hits you, you see it. And then after you see it, it's hard to unsee it, right? You, you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. I can't not see it now. Lies a lot of times are that way. They're always there, but we don't recognize them. But once we can begin to recognize them, we see how they, they play themselves out in the course of our lives. We need God to show us where we are living a lie. God does this in the context of our prayer. He does this in the context of reading Scripture and journaling and reflecting upon our lives. God shows us who we are when our life gets hard. Is your life hard? If your life's hard, then it's a great opportunity for God to show you something about yourself. That's when we can say, God, I humbly come before you. Show me what you want to show me about myself that I cannot see we also need people around us to help us to see our own blind spots, the things about us that we can't see ourselves. Do you have anyone in your life that you trust enough that they will lovingly and gracefully tell you the truth about yourself? Do you have people in your life that love you enough and that you trust enough that they will gracefully speak to you what they see for the sake of your self-awareness, recognizing the lie? The second thing is to confess the lie and to confess that you and I have agreed with these lies over the course of our life. This is hard to do because there's part of the human soul that we would rather live a lie than stand in the truth. We would rather just pretend that everything's okay rather than do the hard work of acknowledging our need to grow. Often this comes from a place where we don't really have a full grasp on God's grace. But we come every week and we celebrate this Holy Communion to remind us that God's grace is greater than our sin. We come and we cling to this grace as a tangible reminder that whatever I find out about myself and you find out about yourself, if you were to look in a mirror and see your spiritual self, that whatever you found out would not be greater than what God says about you. That it would all be covered under God's grace, under Jesus. When we really believe in grace, then we're more willing to do an inventory of our hearts. When we really believe in forgiveness, then, then we don't have to cover ourselves and hide ourselves and live a lie or pretend. We, as followers of Christ, should be the most truthful people, the most honest people, the most humble people who walk the face of the planet. It's part of each of our journey of faith. Confessing the lies that we believe and our agreement with such lies. The third thing we must do is we must accept and agree with God's truth. It's not enough just to say, yeah, that's a lie in my life, but that we have to replace that with something that is true and with, with what is real. For example, if, if you have fallen into the trap of believing the lie that I am only what I do, 
I am nothing more than the sum of, of my performance or what others think of me or how well I accomplish or how much money I make. If that's the lie that your life has bought into, well, that has to be replaced by something else. Once you confess that to God, you have to replace that with something like, I am a child of God. And even though what I do matters, that is not the ultimate definition of who I am. That does not define exactly who I am. You have to replace those lies with something that is real and something that is true. And then the fourth step. I want to repeat the first three, then I'm going to do the fourth step. The first one is recognize the lie. The second one is confess the lie. The third one is agree and accept God's truth. And the fourth one is then repeat. Then repeat. This is not a one-time thing. We have to do this again and again and again and again. Just like you have to keep breathing. Just like you have to keep eating. Just like you have to keep worshiping. Just like we have to keep praying. We have to continue this process in our journey of faith, in the race of life that you're running. When you see those lies, you confess those lies, you agree with God's truth. Have you ever done this? You've had this great epiphany. You realize something about yourself. You're feeling pretty good. You're thinking, yeah, I'm on the track now. I've under, I'm understanding. I'm growing in my faith. And then a week or two later or a month or two later, you're caught up in that same lie. That's kind of depressing, isn't it? Do you know what? That's normal for the territory. It's normal that we have to almost continue to retrain and rewire our souls because our default mode will always be to go back to our old way of being. It doesn't matter if you're learning to swing a golf club or if you're learning to live a new life. We have to almost retrain ourselves to live the kind of life that God is calling us to do. So when you find yourself back in the place that you were before, don't beat yourself up. Just realize, hey, this is the repeat part. That's part of what it means to live this life. I'm going to continue to do this until it is second nature, and I just know that I'm living as who God has called me to be and to live. And so we're called to be a people who stand in the truth. We should never be afraid of the truth. We should never be afraid of seeking the truth out about the world, about God, and especially about who we are. We ultimately embrace light and truth here. That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And ultimately, that is what faith is all about. Adelman's next chapter, he talks about unbelief. And these two really go together. Lies and unbelief are really kind of in the same pool. But we, by necessity, are constituted as a church, as a people of faith. That is who we are. No faith, no church. No faith, we're just playing a game here. And faith and truth go together. It is only through faith that we can see and know the truth about who God is and God's interaction in the world. Unbelief, on the other hand, is the anti-faith. Unbelief pulls the rug out from under every single thing in our lives. He gives some great examples about faith. Faith has the confidence that God is trustworthy. Unbelief doubts his intentions and integrity. Faith believes God weeps with us. Unbelief thinks God is ambivalent and doesn't care about our hurts. 
Faith trusts God for a spouse. Unbelief takes matters into our own hands. Faith honors God with our money. Unbelief decides we need to take care of ourselves. Faith believes God cares for every hair on our head. Unbelief decides he doesn't want to know us. Faith trusts that righteousness is given through Jesus. Unbelief doubts that we can be made right. Faith enables us to repent of our sin, knowing we can be forgiving. Unbelief convinces us we are far too gone, or we don't need to repent in the first place. Brothers and sisters, I'll leave you with this question. What does your reaction and response to the things of your life say about your faith? What does your reaction and your response to what's going on in your life say about what you believe to be true and what lies you are living by? Think about your life. What are the places that God wants to show you? The places of lies, the places of unbelief, and how might He be wanting to replace those with His truth? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful, so thankful that in a world of manipulation, in a world of lies, in a world where you see the deceptions, and we see them all around us and some of them we don't see, we are so grateful that you are a God of truth. We are so grateful that you made us, you know us, you love us. Lord, as we come to these places in our lives of worship where we sing these songs and we hear the word of God proclaim, plant your seeds of truth deep in us, O God. And throughout the days when that is tested in us, Lord, would you help us to choose to believe the things that are real. Help us to sift through the wheat and the chaff. Help us, Lord, to sift through the things that are of substance and the dross that needs to be melted away. Let us be a people of truth. Let us be a people of faith. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.